Hello, and welcome to the Gravel Ride Podcast, where we go deep on the sport of gravel cycling through in-depth interviews with product designers, event organizers, and athletes who are pioneering the sport. I'm your host, Craig Dalton, a lifelong cyclist who discovered gravel cycling back in 2016 and made all the mistakes you don't need to make. I approach each episode as a beginner to unlock all the knowledge you need to become a great gravel cyclist. This week on the podcast, we've got Matt Hawkins. Matt is the founder of Ridge Supply, as well as the creator of the Croatan Buck 50, a super well-regarded gravel race out in North Carolina. I've been wanting to get Matt on the show for a few years after meeting him at Sea Otter, and I'm excited to have you get to know the Croatan Buck 50. I believe there's still some spots available for the 2023 edition. It's one of those early season races, so a great way to get tuned up for a fantastic 2023. Before we jump in, I want to thank this week's sponsor, Bike Index. Bike Index is a bicycle registry and stolen bike recovery platform. No one likes to think about getting their bike stolen. I unfortunately have had two stolen over the course of my life. One was a BMX bike when I was a kid, and I feel like that scarred me. I've always been super careful about how I lock my bike up, which is probably a good thing. But ultimately, a garage that housed my bikes in San Francisco got broken into, and I lost a Trek mountain bike. Neither one of them were ever recovered. Bike Index is really the only game in town that focuses on stolen bike recovery. They've built a platform to blast your bike out to local social media channels, and they can provide you all the best advice on how to increase the chances of success in getting your bicycle recovered. It's a nonprofit. All the services are free. All you need to do is get your serial number and add your make, model, and color to the platform, and there you go. It's like insurance that didn't cost you anything. Simply visit www.bikeindex.org and get your bike registered today. With that said, let's jump right into my conversation with Matt. Hey, Matt, welcome to the show. Hey, hey, Craig. I'm excited to get into the Croatan Buck 50. Am I saying it correctly? You are. You are. A lot of people say Croatian Buck 50, but I think they do that just to make me mad. Yeah, and we'll get into it. We'll get into it because I think people are going to need to get out a map and you're going to tell us where it is in the country. I, I had to do that myself. I knew it was in North Carolina, but I didn't know exactly where. And it's actually a pretty interesting part of the state. But we'll table that question for the moment because I always like just starting out by just a little bit about your backstory, where you grew up, how you got into riding. And I think we should talk about your company, Ridge Supply, because I think it will filter into why you created the event and you know the vibe behind it. Yeah, sure. Well, yeah, so let's start it, with that question. What is it you want to know? Yeah, so where'd you grow up and when did you start riding and when did you decide, when did you discover drop bar gravel riding? Well, I, I, my wife and I both are from Central Virginia, so up near the Charlottesville area. Born and raised there. My family's been there a long time, many generations. And I, I grew up in a real rural kind of county, a lot of farming communities there. But we just happened to have a race that started back when the Tour de Pont and the Tour de Trump rode. They came through our town and we had a we had our local race called the Tour de Madison. And I did that with a buddy of mine on some some Huffies and we started racing and riding when I was really young. Um, I've literally been riding bikes for for almost 40 years. And uh, yeah, so that's, that's kind of how I started. I, I, of course I, I crashed on my first race and, uh, and loved it, loved doing it, but 
I was a swimmer by trade and I swam my whole life and swam through college. So I really picked up cycling after college uh, sort of as my primary sport. And I've been doing that, you know, every, every chance I get as my sole sport really since I got out of college. And were you, were you more excited about the road side or did you start off road riding as well back? You know, actually I did a whole lot of mountain biking to start and did used to, you know, race 24 hour team races with, with the, with a team and did some road racing and some crit racing. Gravel obviously didn't exist back then. When I moved here to North Carolina back in 05, I I, you know, the first place I went to ride was the Croatan because I could go there at night with lights and be off the road. And it felt like, you know, that's where I could take my mountain bike and I could just go kind of ride. And I didn't really know the Croatan is a pretty big, you know, a surface area and it, it has a lot of roads, but they're not all connected. So a lot of it's kind of sketchy. You're just like, I don't know what's down that road. So we started you know, exploring a little bit more on road bikes with, you know, 25 seat tires or whatever is probably a bad idea, but we're just seeing, Hey, what's down that road. And I got my first cross bike and started really, uh, exploring it and doing, uh, doing proper gravel, if you will, kind of before the gravel boom, but more like 2000, 13, something like that. And, uh, and yeah, so I was like one of the first people here in our little town to do Strava. And so I made a lot of the segments originally. And, and that's kind of how I got into, got into gravel was the Croatan was, was here. And then everywhere I've traveled, that's the bike I primarily will take. You know, I ride a rodeo labs trail donkey now, and I'll just everywhere I'm going to go, I'll take that. So I can, I can ride road or, or gravel or whatever suits the fancy. Yeah, exactly. When you first started on Strava, and it probably sounds like the same vintage I did, when you created a segment, you could actually name it, right? Yeah. Like you could, oh, name, yeah. you could name the, you name the climbs, all the climbs. You could put your own names on them. Yeah. Yeah. My, my mother-in-law sends me things all the time. Bless her heart if she's listening. I love her to death, but she'll just send like a text message with some, with some cycling related news article. And if you're, if you're like us and you follow cycling, it's things that you've already heard two or three days before. But when they hit the mainstream media and maybe my mother-in-law would see it, I would always be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But she sent me this article about Strava, which I'd never heard of before. I think this was 2011. And I kind of clicked on it. I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. And I thought, well, I wonder who's using it around here. And I, I, I downloaded the it might've been a beta app or something at the time. And, and of course there was no segments anywhere, everywhere I went for the first six months, I was telling you got to try this, you know? And yeah, I made all, I made all the segments in the beginning, which was kind of funny. And the, the GPS on your phone back then was horrible. And it, it was all squirrely lines look like spaghetti everywhere. And so yeah, Strava's come a long way with better head units and you know, all that stuff. But yeah, yeah, hundred percent. So it sounds like the Croatan is is actually rideable from where you live right now. Is that true? Yeah, yeah. So we're yeah. we're surrounded by uh, it's two hundred miles of road, a gravel road, and it's right here. It's five five miles from where I'm sitting right now, so I can ride over there, link together all I can handle, and and come back pretty. Much. And it's open, t- you know, year round. There's no closures. It's they're public roads. 
Yeah, and to position it so it's in North Carolina, but very close to the coast is what I saw, right? Yes, yes. So we're we're in eastern North Carolina. It's totally flat. There's zero elevation, and the Croatan is what's called a Pocosin. So Pocosin is like an elevated section of lowlands. So there's a lot of water in there in the Croatan, and it has nowhere to go because there's no elevation and there's really no drainage. So what they did was back in the 60s, they dug canals to create the roads. So they would go in there, they would scoop out, you know, along the left and the right side, create these canals for drainage and and they'd put the earth in the middle and then they'd elevate that section for the roads. And so a lot of what we're riding on is, you know, gravel roads that were built in a swamp, essentially. So that's, it's pretty cool. Like when I first started going in there and riding, I was a little bit like, because you, you can be like 20 miles from nothing, you know, which it's really hard to say that, especially over on the East coast. You know, if you're in Montana or something, sure. You could maybe, but like out here, man, you can't be that far from civilization. And we have this beautiful, you know, national forest that is like, kind of weirdly isolated we can we have it right here in our backyard which is which is great so it's a perfect yeah, place to that, start up start a bike race <laughs> yeah isn't that one of the it's just one of those amazing things about having a gravel bike you can just sort of explore and get into these pockets of wilderness and in, in this case pretty large pocket considering where you are now yeah. in, in the in the fort is there what's the canopy like are there large trees in there are we looking at kind of lower yeah so eastern north carolina is filled with pine and a lot of it is plantation planted pine so you know long straight rows of of pine warehouser and places like that own just ridiculous amount of land down here with just pine trees and the croatan is essentially mostly that except for there are maybe six pretty big lakes that are in the Croatan. And then there's a lot of, you know, tributary swamp creeks that are coming in and out of that. When we get a lot of rain here, which, which is pretty often it's heading towards the coast, which isn't that far away. It's just that we, we tend to, we, we tend to fill the sound is right here where we're at. So we have the sound and the ocean and a barrier Island. That's like 25 miles long. So it's all connected and, you know, it's three miles off the beach basically is where the, where the place starts. Got it. And are there there other kind of off-road recreators in there? Are there, you know, jeepers and four wheelers and that kind of crowd? Some of that, mostly it's hunters in the, in hunting season. And other than that, honestly, it's, it's pretty much just for us there. None of the roads really connect to each other. So we, we get to use them a lot of days when I go out there, man, it's like, I can't believe, you know, just, it's like, it's just, it's all, it's just you. And that's, that's, that's a blessing for sure. It also means that the roads aren't maintained as well as they could be. And like we had the, we had hurricane Florence. Sorry if you hear that helicopters, the sound of freedom here. We got the Marine Corps here. So the uh, Hurricane Florence in 2018, which was yesterday, 2018, I mean, we just got devastated and we still haven't had the roads fixed since then. So that's been four years. You, you just can only imagine the amount of potholes and damage and stuff that's there. But that's what makes our race a little interesting too, is that you never know what the roads are going to be like. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. The new chain. Before, like jump in, before we get into the race itself, let's talk a little bit about Ridge Supply and what what led to you founding the company and the vision. Because I've when I heard the story, I found it super interesting, and frankly, it made me want to just jump on the website and order some socks. I appreciate that. I, I need that. I need that. Yeah. If, if for folks who don't know, I, you know, I own and operate a Ridge Supply, which is a, which is a cycling apparel, running apparel brand. I'm a one man show. So I, I've got no employees. I've been doing it seven years and it's an online only business. We, we, we primarily sell direct. So you know, the pretty much the only place you can get our product is, is at our, our website. And I, I, I ship everything myself. I started doing back in 2015 and I didn't know what I was doing. I, I, I knew that I had, I had a pretty good job at the time. And I, the, the, the quick story is I, I got, I got run over by a pickup truck while I was riding my bike and it was a hit and run. And I was sort of very, very fortunate to be alive. And I was acutely aware of that in the hospital, that a lot of folks wanted to know if I was going to keep riding my bike. And I, I immediately, w- I had a resolve that was just like, of course I was. I wasn't, it was never like, oh, I'm scared of riding on the road. I, I certainly was aware of the danger prior to this happening. And I knew that that day I was wearing all black and that's kind of the easy color to find in cycling apparel. Everybody makes black apparel. And I knew that if I was going to continue to do it, I wanted to try to figure out how to do it safer. And so while I was laid up with a broken pelvis, I started doing some research and I put two sort of premises together. One was that blocked color was more visible than solid color. And what that means is if you have the brightest you know, pink or orange, that neon pink or orange, and we, we love it in our products. If you put it by itself and you stick it down the road like you would see from a car, you might you might not know what that is. It, it, it looks like anything. It could look like a road sign. It could look like whatever. It could just be a bright thing that you're not quite identifying yet. But when you put blocked color together, like a dark color, a light color, and a bright color, it catches the eye in a way that makes it stand out. It's not necessarily as bright as the solid bright color, but it's more eye-catching. So that was one premise and sort of a scientific premise there. And the other was biomotion mechanics. And what that means is that the human, the human brain recognizes another human's movement. And when that, that happens, that, that brain will then acknowledge that that's a human and treat it like a human. And I think what happens in cycling, the phenomenon that we all experience when we're riding is we're not treated like humans at all. And it isn't because people are driving around saying, you know, oh, these curse these cyclists, you know, it's actually that when they're driving, they're just not acknowledging that that thing that they see is another person. It's, it's just an object. It's not, it's not dangerous, but when you think that that's a person, you, you notice it's a person, you will then, you don't want to run somebody over, you know, that's not what anybody's trying to do, but then you will start acknowledging that that's a person, treat them like a person. So I took those two premises together and I said, well, I knew defeat is here in North Carolina. I'd been to visit them and I was kind of their neon 
poster child after my accident. And I realized like I could make my own sock. All I had to do was make 72 pair. And um, I took the most trite design. I don't, if you, uh, you're seeing this on YouTube or something, it's right behind me. But I took the Blue Ridge Mountains that I grew up with in central Virginia. Everything is Blue Ridge, Blue Ridge, Blue Ridge. It's the most trite, non-original thing I could have come up with, but I'd never seen it in a sock. And so I took that design and a contour line also was something I had never seen. I'd only really seen straight. They're easier to knit straight or, or vertical lines. So I took that contour line. I made this five color sock. And that was my idea was like, if I make a bright eye catching multicolor sock and it's moving all the time there, you get your bio motion, you get your most visible. And, uh, and yeah, so that's what I did. I mean, I, I, I did that in 2015. I, I had no idea what I was doing. I thought, man, if I could just sell these 144 pair that I ended up buying the first time, like maybe I could do a sock of the month club or something. I had no idea how to ship them, nothing. And I made a phone call to a buddy who owns a bike shop and he was like, oh, this is great. You know, I'll buy six pair. And I called another buddy who owns a bike shop and he was like, oh, I'll order 18. And I was like, oh my gosh, well, I've sold 23 pair. What am I going to do? You know, how <laughs> I was just panicked. And so I, I, I really worked hard for like a week and I like created a website and did, got the shipping integrated. And I did all these things back in 2015, these tools were just becoming yeah. available to people like me who really didn't know what they were doing, but they're pretty dangerous on a computer, but like I can't do code, you know, and I could do all these things like sort of cookie cutter and just like work hard at it and do it. And so that's, that's how I was. It was just dangerous enough to, to get them sold. And then I sold them within two weeks. And then I was like, well, I'll just take that money and I'll reinvest it in a new, new color. And I just keep flipping it. And that's how my business started in 2015. And I literally never put another dime into it. I bet I was able to do that for a while while still having a regular job. And then, yes, yeah, slowly but surely it's grown to the point where, you know, I think a lot of people think Ridge Supply is a lot bigger than it is, but you got to sell a lot of $17 socks <laughs> to make a living. And I'm fortunate to sell a lot of socks. So we that's that's what I do, which is kind of kind of crazy when people ask me, like, what do you do? I'm like, I sell socks. And they're like, well, what do you do for a living? And I'm like... I sell a lot of socks. I don't know. I mean, that's, that's the deal. I, I love that, Matt. And for the listener, like I'll put a, a, a link to Ridge Supply so you can check out the colorways and whatnot. And I think it's the type of design that once you see it, as you said, you've you've iterated on the colorways numbers and numbers and numbers of times now. And there's lots of different yeah. options there. But the core elements are generally the same. That skyline design that you talked about early on from the Blue Ridge Mountains so super cool and visual. And I think I also heard you mention to others that, you know, you, you do find that people talk about their socks, which I think is, is interesting and, you know, and probably a great way that has, has helped the company grow. Yeah. I, I mean, absolutely. I had no idea the, the a community nature that was being created. And then the, the viral is not the right word, the personal connection that the socks would make with other people out in the world. Like I'm always blown away at the number of new customers that rich supply gets every month that I'm not, I'm not advertising to get them. They're, they're coming through grassroots, you know, people on a group ride, 
people seeing something on Instagram, people telling somebody else about them. And that excitement around it is something that is, is the blessing of why this is actually a business and isn't, wasn't just something I did. And, and, and it, and I can't take credit for it because a lot of that is timing and the, the, the mistakes or risks that were taken early on with the business that worked at the time when nobody else was really doing that. Now in revisionist history, it looks like, wow, you really knew it. I didn't know what I was doing. You know, like, so I, I can't sit back now and be like, yeah, look at this. I, I, I'm still just in awe. I'm, I, my wife and I will look at each other sometimes and be like, what is going on? Like we, <laughs> we both had, you know, big time jobs and corporate blah, blah, blahs. And all of a sudden it's like, we're sell socks for a living. And, and, you know, it's bizarre. It's a bizarre life, yeah. but I think I have the best job in the world for me, you know? So yeah, I'm that's amazing. That. And I, I do, I mean, I think as a consumer, we all appreciate like the transparency and authenticity of business owners. Like now that I've heard the story, the origin story about why the sock design is the way it is, you better believe if anybody asks me about those socks or says like, oh, those are kind of cool. I'm going to tell them, oh, they were designed for increased visibility. And it, like, yeah. there's no doubt in my mind that customers relay that story if they hear about it, because it's just so, it's just an interesting talking point. Like, yeah. Most socks are boring. These aren't. <laughs> and I appreciate that. And you know, you can't, not everybody can listen to a 45 minute podcast to let me get long winded about telling that story either. So it's, it's hard to, it's hard to get that message out there. I assume everybody knows it, but of course they don't. And so I'm, I'm happy that you've, you know, you, you brought it up because it's, it is, a, it's not marketing. It's the last thing from marketing. It's really the kind of the core design philosophy of what I do, it, it isn't just, it's either mountain related, you know, so like the names, the style, the design is kind of mountain related. It also has that five color. I try to do five, sometimes I can't, but, and once I, that's my brand identity. I don't have a logo that people recognize. I don't have a text that somebody's like, oh yeah, it's, it's that. And when I started that in 2015, nobody was doing that. And so when you see my socks in a picture, they really stand out because of that branding. And that I've, I've, I like to say like, you know, I'm like a dog, you like peed around my tree so many times. Like you come near that tree, you're like, oh, that's where it supplies tree. Well, you know, and it's because that's what, I, <laughs> that's what that <laughs> did. And I didn't know that's what was going to happen. But now I, I, it's funny, like I have like, social media watchdogs out there. You know, if somebody does anything with five colors or contour lines, I get these text messages like they're stealing from you. You know, it's, it's not that there's only so much you can do on a sock. That's not really what happens, but that's, what's made it unique. Is it, it you can tell what it is without seeing the words or some, you know, a swoosh yeah. logo or whatever. Yeah. I love it. I love it. I mean, the listener well knows that I can geek out about the basic business behind any enterprise because I love it. I'm fascinated by it. But I definitely wanted to transition to the Croatan Buck 50 and learn learn more about the event. So what when did you get the idea for it and what was the inspiration? Why, you know, it's a lot of work to put on an event, as you can attest. And why did you tackle that? Well, I mean, ignorance is is a great motivator to do something ridiculous because I had no idea. I had never, I don't think I'd ever volunteered for a race and nor had I ever 
put one on. I'd done a lot of them. I just knew that I knew that our area was kind of unique. Gravel was something that it hadn't quite taken off yet. There weren't a lot of big events outside of, you know, like Mid-South and Dirty Kansas at the time. And there was really, no, and there's, there still aren't many events on the East Coast outside of like Vermont. And so I knew we had the Croatan here and I spent the better part of six months or so just kind of riding the Croatan, giving a feel for it and, and trying to come up with something that could work. The, the one challenge we have most because we're on the coast, you can't go in our case South because we're South facing, which is kind of strange. They don't, we're like long Island, you know, when you go South, you go into the water. So we don't have options for loops. You kind of go into the Croatan and the way that it's structured with its lakes and its swamps and stuff. Some of the roads just don't go anywhere and they're really kind of like fire access so we couldn't do like a, a traditional loop like you would normally, like almost every course is. So we had to do an out and back, which that's interesting. Nobody really does that. And I wasn't sure if people were going to like that. And so I kind of wrote it enough. So I was like, you know what? I don't hate this. I could do this, you know, and enjoy it. And it is different. An out and back is always different. It's going another direction, a different view, different thing, different turns. So but yeah, in 2017, I, I did that. I, I had a, um, a buddy at the time that was helping me kind of promote it and we got it started and, and we had 250 people, I think in 2018, come and do it. And I, like I've told some other folks too, like I had no idea what I was doing and a lot of bike races, you know, you just kind of show up, they start you and then you finish. Sometimes there's timing. Sometimes there's not. If you're not on the podium, you just kind of, you know what I mean? Like there's nobody there to finish. I finished races before here locally where I got back to the finish line and there was literally nothing there. You know, I've won events like that where I'm like, there's no finish line. There's nobody to, to document it. You just ride across and you're like, I won. You don't win anything. You're just the first person to finish. So with this race, we, we just winged it that first year. It was a success. People loved it. We do start and stop at the Speedway here, which is which is one of our crown jewels. We we have a, a a NASCAR short track. If you don't know what that is, it's essentially like you know less than a half mile track, and it is they call it the nicest one in the country. And the reason that is is it's built like a like a speedway, where it's got. It's got like eight or nine bars. It has grandstands. It has towers. It has a restaurant in the middle. It's got a garage. It's, I mean, it's, it's amazing, but we, we are able to use it for our start and our finish. And it, and it provides this ambiance about the start and finish in a way that is real communal and has the right vibe. And it's right beside the Croatan. So short little, little, paved section to get out there and then you're in the woods and just that combo together was a good it just worked in 2018 yeah and was it a 150 mile race only or did you have other options yeah no so we have three we we call it the buck 50 because there's a 150 mile race we have a race called the buck which is 100 miles and we have a race called the 50 that is 50 miles with the first year we basically had a course that was 
almost 50 miles and we did one lap, two laps or three laps. It's a mass start. Everybody started at the same exact time. And we had a, we had sections of the course. It changes every year. The course changes a little bit every year, but that first year we had this section of road that was really primitive and abandoned road that was, had a lot of potholes, a lot of mud holes, and we called it Savage Road. And that was a section that was about three miles long that really broke the race up. It was the, it was the animated piece. And that was a big hit. We were able to use that the first two years. And since then, we haven't been able to use it, which is fine. And we've changed the course a little bit. But now, now we have three races. The 50 uses that same out and back to start. And then the 100 uses a 60-mile loop and then a 40-mile loop. And then the buck 50 uses two 75-mile loops. So what's kind of nice is we have all these people out there in the course, and it kind of is three different courses, but there's a big section of the course where it's it's all, everyone uses it. So unlike a lot of races, we have a lot of back and forth traffic. So out there on the course, you will find other riders heading the other direction that are 40 miles you know, away from you in the race. But the way that we stagger it, and that provides a lot of, we found that that provides a lot of positive camaraderie. Yeah, there's that small group in the front that's drilling it for the race lead and they're not waving at people, but everyone else seems to be really encouraging of the other groups. And that community aspect, I think is something unique about our race that people really like. Yeah, that sounds super interesting. And I agree. I mean, there's it's very few races where you double back on yourself and see other people. And it, it's fascinating as, you know, as a mid packer to see, to get an opportunity to see the front front leaders of the men's and women's race go by. That's a lot of fun and inspiring yeah. to see. Yeah. And I think it makes people feel a little bit safer too. You know, if you had a catastrophic situation, you're, you're not alone. The Crotan is very remote and you could be, you, you wouldn't be out there by yourself forever, but the way our race is set up, you know, you're not alone very long. And I think people like, I think people like that. Yeah, for sure. You talked a little bit about how the terrain was laid out early on in this conversation. What type of equipment do you see people riding? What kind of tires, et cetera? Yeah. You know, the more I've traveled around and done other races and stuff, people that have never done this race, they actually, they just don't believe that the terrain, this terrain exists, you know, and they've never really ridden terrain like this because it is it's perfectly flat. And what that means for you is that you never are able to coast or, you know, there's no climb, so there's no descent and you never stop pedaling. And in the course of a 50 mile, even just a 50 mile ride, it can really drain you. When you do 150, it is a, it's a serious effort. So as far as gearing and stuff is concerned, you could literally ride you know, you could ride road gearing here and be fine. But a lot of folks, you know, this is a great single speed course because if you get the right gear, that's, you know, the right cadence you want and can get you at the speed you want to go, you don't need to change your gear. So it's a perfect course for just grinding out on a single speed tires. You know, we've got really good surface area or surface that is not like sharp rockets rocks at all. It can be a little sandy at times. So uh, 
a little bit of volume is important, but I mean, the race has been won on like 35s and 32s. So I wouldn't ride it on a 32 myself. I'd rather, I ride like a 38 and I feel fine on that, but I ride a slick out here all year round. So even, even if it's wet, a slick is fine. Our corners are, our corners are a little sandy. So tires tend to not do anything for you. You just got to take them a little gingerly. If you go in a corner too hot, you're just going to eat it, but we don't have many corners, you know? So a lot of the roads are straight and you're, what you really have to do is find your line. That's the other thing you can't ever explain to somebody until they come and do it. We have, we, we, you call them potholes, but like we have small indentations like a pothole in the gravel and they're everywhere. They're everywhere. And so imagine you're in a group of 800 people and you're nine, 10 riders back. You're not going to see any of that. And all of a sudden you're just like, bam, you hit the bottom of this pothole with your rim. It becomes this thing where as the course opens up and as people start to spread out, picking your line, it's like a snake, you know, and it just winds around and, and the groups are all doing it. You can be on the left. You can be on the right. If you're in the middle of the road, it is a nightmare because there is just no way that you're not going to have some catastrophic pothole in your way. It's a weird kind of way to race your bike. But one really cool thing is like you'll never calm down and just like tune out. You have to be on the razor's edge mentally the whole time. And I think that's actually a great way to gravel race. You know, because if you're just like you always talk about people like I just had to grind through this thing. It was so boring. Like this course is not boring. It's flat and it's an out and back. And that sounds boring to people until they do it. But then when they do it, you throw in these potholes. It's there's something special about it. A heck of a lot of pedaling and a heck of a lot of attention required. It sounds like. Yes. Yes. When you think about the event, were you looking to put something on the calendar that attracted sort of a highly competitive crowd or what was what was kind of the vibe and intention of the the race design in your mind yeah you know i i set out to create something that could be the first gravel race you've ever done in the 50 that is like you know like even if you're going pretty slow you can complete that course in four hours and i felt like four hours is like you know if, if you're really riding and training some you can do that. Even if you never train more than two, you could still pull out a four hour effort. The buck 50 was always going to be a challenge just from a time perspective, because like even the fastest people who are blazing this course at like 21 and a half miles an hour, they're still in the seven hour range. And that is, that's goes all the way up to 12, you know, depending on who's doing it. What I tried to do was, make a race that and this is the magic of the croatan being flat if you're the if you're the the person who just wants to come out and experience it and ride you can line up against you know ian boswell who's going to go maybe win it and you both have an equally rewarding experience it isn't that the person in the back is just lollygagging the course they're going to have to do something really special for them to complete it but the people at the front are going to get this unique experience of a March race that doesn't have crazy elevation, doesn't have, you know, 
high altitude, doesn't have extreme weather, and yet it's hard. Um, but it's just hard enough for wherever your fitness is at. And I think that's one of the sweet spots. And we don't bill it. I know it's called the buck 50, but it, we split it about a third. So we have, you know, a third of the people sign up for the 50, a third of the people sign up for the hundred and a third of people for the buck 50. And one of the unique things about our race too, is like we let you switch the distance up until a month out because people will sign up and then they'll be like, ah, my fitness isn't what I want it to be. Or they maybe have a great winner and they're like, you know what I want to do. I want to bump up from the hundred to the 150. So we allow people to do that and change it on their own. And that's, that's been a big, a big blessing because it, it, we were seeing 150 people change, which is a nightmare for a race director to have to deal with all that. So we just let them do that one bike reg until January. Nice. Yeah. It's interesting that March date on the calendar. I think it's like, it's such a great focal point for your energy, like through the winter to say, oh, I gotta, yeah. I gotta stay fit. Cause I want to do something big in March and it just sets the table for a great year on the bike. I think if you're fit at that time. Yeah. I think people that we, so registration just opened up yesterday and on the 15th of September and it's a long way out, but it really isn't when you think about your holidays, your new years, all these things. And people do use this as their carrot. I know I do. I use it as my, I got to get on Swift. You know, I got to do another workout, even though I don't ride it. I just know that that's what people do. And then they, it's not that you want to come out of your come out of your you know to start your season at the buck fifty and be blazing, but you know that you don't really have to perform at a weird you know extreme level. You just have to grind, and that's that's kind of a neat way to start your year too. And I think I think it's worked for people that really want to set you know set a goal, an early season goal, and then pick up their June and you know July things later because they built that base. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like from your description that the, the racetrack has just created this very important piece of infrastructure for the overall event. How are you kind of harnessing that? Obviously like a lot of gravel events try to foster a nice after race party or an event yeah. or experience for the community. How have you kind of managed that and, and what should we expect when we show up? Yeah. You know, we're, we're, we're super blessed. We, we've got all of these things in this background where you're, you're, you're on this NASCAR, you know, short track, it's paved. It has a pit lane. We, we have the finish line there, right where, right where the, the vending is and the food and all that stuff. So it's this communal effort. Once you, once you either are coming through for a lap, you get to see everybody or at the finish right after you finish, you're right there. And it's been an interesting it's evolved, but it's been an interesting environment because we also have free camping there on site. So basically like you can literally come in there the night before pitch a tent inside of the track, wake up. You're basically at the start finish line and start the race. It rem reminds me a little bit of the, some of the mountain bike events that you get to do where camping's involved, but we, we offer, you know, meal afterwards and, and beverage. We typically will have like a, you know, a, a beer, uh, partner that'll, that'll have beer. We do like a, a, a full catered buffet style meal, which, which is kind of nice because it just some, you know, where we are, it's not like we got 
eight, 900 people, they, there's not a lot of restaurants and stuff. You know, you can't just like say, Hey, go get yourself something to eat. We kind of have to provide it. So we do that. And the big thing that because of Ridge supply and because of who I am as a business person, if you will, like I've always made, I've always tried to set out to make this race a value, even though it's not an inexpensive race. There's, I feel like there's peer races that are of our size or bigger that are more expensive and the return that you get from the buck 50, I've always tried to maximize the return and make every decision that we make. I say we, that I make about the race is rider focused because I think what happens with race directors, and I'm not pointing any fingers at anyone else. I'm saying this happens, happens to me. You get this registration, you sell your registration, which is great. Then you have to provide services with that, with the, that revenue and the amount of services you provide, there's like a minimum. And a lot of folks stop there. They're just like, this is all you got to do. And what I try to do is give back enough a in services, but also in product, we give away a huge swag package. Nobody does this, but I do it because a, that's what I do. I sell stuff, you know, but like this year, when you come and do this race, you're paying for the entry, but you're get you're going to get basically a, a, everything that we do is fully custom just for racers too. So it isn't like uh, you can buy this on this on the website or somebody printed a koozie and gave it to you. It's like you get a custom pair of socks, you get a custom race tee that is not like your typical race tee. It's a legit piece of garment. You get a finisher's hat when you finish that's specific to your race. You're going to get a pair of gloves that are custom long fingered hand up gloves that you're going to get. You may get some other things and I'm not going to say out loud what they are. Those things all add up. It's well over a hundred dollars worth of stuff. You get a meal afterwards, you get beverage afterwards, you get free camping. It isn't about what you get back, but when you do all those things and then the value of the race experience in itself is what it is. And people do really enjoy doing this event. I hope that they tell other people about it and then they want to come do it again. Otherwise, you know, it's a giant waste of time. I've found that from, from a race director standpoint, if, if it stretches me a little bit where I'm kind of like, Oh man, I got, you know, when you have 900 people, every dollar that you spend is a thousand dollars, you know, and those add up very quickly. And there's a lot of times that that feeling that you have, you're like, well, I don't have to do that. They won't, they don't really, you know, you don't really need that. That's almost the, the surefire indication I needed. And I, the one thing we don't do that a lot of big races have, I don't really have a whole, I really don't have any corporate partners. I don't sell sponsorship. Nobody's presenting this. And I like that because it keeps it, the, the vibe is the right vibe for March. I don't think a March race yeah. should be like the world championships of anything. It's like, bro, you're just coming out of hibernation in the Northeast this is your first time to see the sunshine <laughs> and you want to ride your bike, but you, you know, you, you don't need all that pressure yet. And so we try to keep it like that. And uh, I think it's translated. I think the, the racetrack does provide that. And that's kind of what we use it for. It's just a backdrop. We really don't, you know, you do get to ride around it and finish uh, and you come in and out of it to do your pit. But yeah, I'm not sure if I answered that question correctly, but you, that's what you, you did for sure. Matt. No, I love it. And I do think, you know, by my likes, again, like it's come to me through a number of different sources that this is a fun event if you can get it on your calendar and you're close to the East Coast where you can get there. So 
I think you're doing all the right things and I'm, I'm happy to have you on the podcast and just hopefully expose this race to a broader audience. I really love the idea of encourage, encouraging people to travel, to ride gravel in different parts of the country. Cause as you expressed early on in this conversation, it's such a unique part of our country that has these funny little attributes that you're not going to experience elsewhere. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. It, it is. It's, when you live here, you're kind of like, why would anybody want to come here and ride our little gravel? And then you make the bike race and then everyone's like, it's amazing. And you're like, really, is it, you know, <laughs> and that's kind of been an eye opener too, is that you realize that it is unique. The our terrain is unique. And I've, I've, I've spent a lot of time in Vermont. I, I spent a lot of time in Colorado, kind of all those kind of areas. And like, you can't mimic those things. They're just, they are what they are and they're amazing. It's just that what we have is just like squished flat and you can get away from everything in a way that is just kind of bizarre. You know, there's no homes, there's no buildings, there's no nothing. You're just on a gravel road in the middle of a forest as far as your eyes can see. And that's kind of cool. Yeah. And thank you. Thank you for just putting a hand up and creating this. I mean, it, I always like to express that sentiment to event organizers because it's it's hard, hard work. But I know it's it's a virtual, it's a love story to your local community and the, the trails that you've explored the last few years. Yeah, I appreciate that, man. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I would do it again if I if I knew. But if I knew it was this hard, I would think really hard about starting. <laughs> I'm glad I'm glad the ignorance is is prevalent for me. It, it totally is. It totally is. I don't think you start a business if you know everything you're going to have to go through. And you probably don't start an event either if you know everything yeah. that's in front of you. But exactly. Cool. Thanks again, Matt. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Greg. Appreciate it. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Gravel Ride Podcast. Big thanks to Matt for coming on board and talking about his backstory for Ridge Supply and that amazing sounding Croatan Buck 50 race coming up in early 2023. Big thanks to Bike Index for supporting the show this week. And big thanks to you for listening. I may not say this enough, but I very much appreciate you listening to the show and making me part of your gravel cycling experience. If you're interested in connecting with me, you can visit The Ridership. That's www.theridership.com. It's a free global cycling community where you can interact with gravel cyclists from all over the world. If you're able to support the show, ratings and reviews are hugely appreciated. Or head on over to buymeacoffee.com slash thegravelride if you're able to contribute financially. Until next time, here's to finding some dirt under your wheels.